My name is Will Schaefer, and it is my pleasure to stand before you all this morning and bring forth the Word of God uh, this morning. And it's, it's pretty cool when you go from the welcome to the communion and you hear these reoccurring themes um, stand out that's going to be in the sermon. And I'm just like, man, God has or- orchestrated something beautiful this morning um, because we definitely did not conspire on anything. The themes of trust the themes of faith in God and his promises, um, the, the theme that uh, troubles will come and the theme that we need to overcome. So you'll hear some of that kind of uh, coming back out in the sermon this morning. Um, so today we're going to continue our journey uh, in Genesis as we seek to build strong families. And I say seek to build strong families, not just for those of us who have uh, little ones, not just us married folk, but, you know, we are a family within the church of God. And one day some of you will go on to to uh, have families of your own. Um, So you'll you'll need to take heed and carry this along with you. Um, But before we get started today, I'd like for you to join me um, in a word of prayer, because I don't I don't want anything um, of my own to come out, though I crafted the words. Um, I want it to be all God. So please join me. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, uh, thank you so much for this morning and give us this morning to worship you. Thank you for all that's happened thus far. I thank you for the visitors we have today, um, God, to to see what you have to offer, offer uh, so much um, to give us relief from this world. God, I pray that you speak through me this morning. God, and that nothing that I say comes out that you would not be um, displeased of, God. I pray that that brothers and sisters this morning are not discouraged, but empowered to move forward beyond the circumstances that we have here in this world, God. Um, I, I, I offer up our hearts as clay, God, and made you mold them this morning to be masterpieces that uh, please you. Um, We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I wasn't here last week, but I heard you had a good sermon out at the park um, with Seth. Um, I was in children's ministry, and I've been there since the start of June. And I tell you, um, you know, I I always feel like I'm too busy or I have too much to do um, to go into the children's ministry and teach the children. But I tell you, they, they teach me more about myself than I teach them. So I encourage you, if that's something you have not done or it's been a while, please see Sharon, sign up, because I'm uh, able to, to grow in so many ways as I connect with these, these young men. That's all I have, young boys that I have in my class right now. There's three of us, and we're growing uh, pretty close. Um, so... Seth took you all last week through Genesis 21, and um, from what I understand, he spoke to you about Abraham and how he had been chosen by God as the one through whom he would bring forth a great nation and bless all the nations. Uh, You talked about how God fulfills his promises, and miraculously, he did so um, with Abraham and and Rebecca, and giving them a son in the uh, uh, years of being a hundred years old or plus, if you could imagine that, what that must be like to live that long, and then that that promise finally being fulfilled. You talked about how up to this point in Genesis there have been repeated accounts of God 
inquiring of people, and he's going to ask you this today, do you trust me? Thinking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and now Abraham and you today, he's wondering, do you trust me? Seth left you with a challenge last week to trust in God through the blood of Jesus instead of man and circumstances. And I ask you, how did you do this past week in trusting God? And today I'm going to speak to you about why you should trust in God through um, our study of Genesis 22. And trust is hard, is it not? It's extremely hard. And I ask you why? Why is trust hard? Well, I would make the argument that it's a product of lots of struggles that we've had in our lives, these different encounters that have caused us to become skeptics. A strained relationship, betrayals, letdowns, trauma that has caused us to be guarded, or maybe we have misguided perceptions of ourselves as though we know all things and we fail to trust those who um, we feel know less than us. Maybe we've been trained to do so. It's been ingrained within us. So trust is hard. Trust is really hard. So these experiences or lack thereof have unfortunately created a condition in us that creates a barrier between us and God. In many of us, we have been so entrenched in that way of operating that we no longer know how to trust or to get ourselves out of it. Well, the truth of the matter is you can't get yourself out of it. It is something you have to take to God. So this morning, I'm thankful that we have this example in uh, Genesis 22 of Abraham. And if you know the story, many of you know it well, where um, Abraham is called to sacrifice his one and only son. We have this example in Abraham that um, allows us to see how to trust or what it looks like to trust. So today we're going to be in Genesis 22 to further understand what it means to trust God with all of our hearts. And just so you know, ahead of time, I will ask you a lot of questions. I'll not give you the answers to all those questions. The hope is that you write these questions down and today and after today, you go on to continue to let them, as my uh, uh, grandmother-in-law would say, let them mung in your brains and, and, and come back to them. And I must admit, in my preparation for today, Um, I battled in my heart whether or not I would be able to trust to the degree that Abraham does in this story. Um, On several occasions, as I thought about the test presented to him, um, tears would ensue. Um, Why? Because I'm a father. And to consider what he went through um, was painstakingly hard. But as I continue to prayer for this lesson today, there was a sense of relief that came upon me. And you ask why? Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Let's see. So I'm going to read Genesis 22. I'm going to do a lot of reading today because there's a couple. um, There's a story, an excerpt from a book that I read. And then I'm going to read Genesis 22. And I'm going to try to speak as quickly as possible so I don't keep you until one this afternoon. But I'm going to read Genesis 22. If you want to turn there, um, go ahead and you can just say amen when you're there. 
man, we're there. All right. Genesis 22, verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain and I will, that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. And this part kills me every time. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to the sermon, servant, his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. What a story, right? As I stated earlier, this brings chills to my body every single time as I have two young boys, and I couldn't fathom taking them up to a mountain, pretty much silent, bearing the weight of that one question, knowing that my son would be the sacrifice. So the title of my lesson today, is it up there? Oh, not yet. All right. Now, I promise you that first word I didn't find off Urban Dictionary or anything. I kind of created it because I was like, how do I say who or what? So I was like, whoa. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I might have heard Christian Brooks say that word once or twice. I don't know. <laughs> but who or what is seated at the throne of your heart this morning? All right. Now I have four points. All right, the call, the response, the challenge, the Christ. 
Now, I know it's unconventional to have more than three points, but perhaps after hearing this lesson, Drew will change practice and do four points. All right? All right. So, in Genesis 22, verse 1, it states, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So we start out by reading that Abraham is tested. So right away, if you know God and who he fundamentally is, you understand that what is about to happen is about to ha have great purpose. So I ask you, what is the biggest test you've ever taken? An SAT, an ACT, a work certification, a line of questioning from a significant other. If you're married, if you've had a girlfriend or boyfriend before, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> or even a test of your patience as you're driving down the road. For me, the things that flood my mind when I think about a test is when I had my son living through an abusive childhood, going to the Marine Corps, graduate school, teacher and administrator certifications, having children, studying the Bible, and getting married. All these things created a great deal of angst in me. Now consider the purpose of a test. Now I'm in education, and we give tests to students to kind of see where, where do they stand on this lesson or the mastery of this content. Much like any test you may have experienced, tests serve to give an indication of where you stand in regards to a particular skill, ability, or understanding. In some circumstances, you are tested by other people to indicate your allegiance or trustworthiness. We know that testing brings hardships, anxiety, and discomfort. And we also know, as it says in James 1 verse 3, that that it brings about perseverance in our faith. Therefore, our understanding of a test reveals to us what is about to come for Abraham, or what we've read about Abraham. Which brings me to my first point. I'm gonna shuffle these. All right. The call. We have to turn on our ringers and answer the call. The scripture says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am, immediately. He said, take your son, your, son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And God called and Abraham picked up the phone. God asked Abraham to do something that we see as unfathomable. In fact, this had great meaning to Abraham as well. If we think about the time and context in which this is taking place, what did it mean to have a burnt offering? At this time, burnt offerings um, as prescribed through Leviticus meant that you would cut up the sacrifice into pieces and then burn the sacrifice on the altar. 
Could you imagine that as a father having to chop up your kid into pieces and burn them upon the altar? altar? And this meant two things. Either it was symbolizing the offerer giving them their entire selves over to God, or it meant that they were at- it was a sacrifice to atone for the offerer's sins. Now we think about that and we're wondering what, which one is it for Abraham? There must be, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that it's, it's, it's the second, to atone for his sins. So consider also that Isaac is the son of Abraham and Rebekah, whom they've waited a long time for. He was the promised son. And you can imagine what it must feel like to have God say to you, here is your promise, now kill it. Isaac also represented the sole heir, because during that time, um, sons were the heirs of their fathers. And it was very important that your heir lived on to take over what you have and what you had. But he was the heir and inheritor through whom the promise to bless all nations um, was to come. So you can imagine what this meant at the time. But you may say, what about Ishmael? You all remember Ishmael from last week? Well, well, he's a son of Abraham's. Well, to be a son in the biblical sense is to be an heir. Ishmael, though loved by Abraham and an offspring from his body, was not the promised heir. God promised Isaac. Isaac alone was the heir. He was the only son. Even Abraham's other children in Genesis 25 verses 1 through 2 were not, were not uh, called sons in the same manner that Isaac was. And you might ask, why is God testing Abraham in this way? Well, Abraham's entire life had been full of tests in which God proved himself time and time again as deserving and trustworthy and faithful to Abraham. This test by God in Genesis 22 exposes his heart, something not so plainly seen by you and me. His only son, the one whom he loved, Isaac, was at the top of his heart, was in the throne of his heart. Now, if you're a parent, think about what it was like when your son or daughter was born. Where was your attention? What did your life revolve around? Because You know, it's not unrealistic for this to happen to Abraham. We're human. I remember when my son Gabriel was born, the whole order of things got mixed up. He came, he became number one in my heart. In fact, God probably came to be number four. I would say Gabriel was number one. Now my wife and work battled for number two and three. And then God took it easy back seat and forth. I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not saying that was right, but that's what happens. Now for you, is it the same? Is it college exams, work obligations? Is it pets? Is it spousal relationships? Is it a parent? Is it yourself? And of course we can't forget, is it that Netflix series or that new video game? Is that taking number one? in your heart? Is that what's sitting in the throne of your heart? I don't know. You can answer that question. So these things can easily become idols for us. 
So today we're looking at what's an idol that's sitting in the throne of your heart. So here's the question I leave with you. What is it that God is calling or asking of you to put on the altar? If you're saying nothing, unlike in the movies, I urge you to reach down right now, turn on your ringers, because I'd hate for you to miss the call. All right? I'd hate for you to miss the call. Now, when we have a call, we pick it up and we respond, which brings me to my second point, the response. Our responses must be immediate and urgent. Our responses must be immediate and urgent. Starting in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to this young, his young men, these are the two that he brought with him, stay here with the donkey. I and a boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his son, on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand and fire and a knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. My son. So they went both together when they came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Now, when we look at Abraham's response, we can see two things. Immediacy and urgency. He wastes no time. He begins preparation and the next morning he is off on his journey. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of different responses I might have had. And when I read this, there are a lot of questions I have as well that I had to toil through as I read this, especially as a father and as a husband. Now, my first response may have been, really? Come on, God, really? Are you serious? You're playing, right? Or I might even adopt a saying from my, my wife and her sisters, say whiz. Because that means you're serious. I may ask God for some time to think it over. God, just let me go count the cost. Perhaps talk to a bro- few brothers, you know, get some advice. You know, eat the meat, spit out the bones, get some advice. I might even flat out deem it crazy. And make a case to God himself. To say, that's not what it says in the New Testament. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Could you imagine that? Now, some questions that I might have as I read this are, where in the world is Abraham's wife? Doesn't she get a say? Right? How did the conversation go that night? Did he even tell her? What was going on inside Abraham's brain throughout the journey as the question was posed by his son through the uncomfortable silences throughout the three days? How much inner turmoil was taking place? Did he curse God in his head? Because it's all right if it's in your head, right? Some would say. 
While we can imagine how painful it must have been and get lost in the wonder and wondering the different parts of the story that are missing or that are unsaid, we can't allow ourselves to forget the biggest, bigger picture. That God has infinite wisdom and that he is good. And like we said earlier, his promises are true. Now consider verse 5 in Abraham's faith. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Notice what he says there. He says, I and the boy will return to you. So that gives you great indication of his faith right there. He didn't say, I'm going to take my son here to the altar and I will return. He says, we, in some versions, will come back. We will go and we will come back. So he has great faith in God. It says in Hebrews eleven seventeen, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham believed in his heart, no matter what, even if he went through with it, God would bless it and, and, and Isaac would be walking back with him. Talk about what faith. So as we read... The rest of the story, I'm not going to read the rest of the scriptures, but God intercedes and stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. He provides the ram in the thickets in which Abraham grabs him by the horns and offers him on the altar. And he is rewarded once again with what happens over and over in Genesis by God recommitting his promise. So I ask, do you even know God's promises? There's a way to know. If your answer to that is no, it's probably because you've not been in your scriptures and learned them. So I urge you to do so. And then do you even believe that God, God will follow through on them? Is there something you are withholding from God? An idol you're not giving up? And then what is your response time towards God's call? Do you see the urgency in getting rid of idols in your life? Those are just questions. I'm not answering. And the challenge. The challenge. My third point. God has a challenge for you and me. Like Abraham, God wants us to give up our idols. Parents, your world may tend to revolve around your children, their activities, and everything they need. It may be around your spouse, maybe around your job, but you must, you must find your value and significance in God, yeah. not those things. And others, if you're not parents, what do you obsess about? Where do you find value? Your grades, being the good sons or daughters. Your looks, money in the bank, perceptions of respect 
by others. Even I fall into that one. How perfect your house looks. Or even being the person that doesn't do that. Now for all of us, how would you fill in this blank? If I have blank, then I am okay. I am good. I am happy. If it is not God, then I'm sorry to share with you this morning, you have an idol. Something you're putting before God. What are you building your life around? And let's be honest. Sometimes it feels like God who is trying to save you is actually trying to kill you. Does it not? Sometimes when we're trying to separate from idols or things that we really love, it is painful. Not too long ago, I read um, the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's kind of interesting because it's, it's, it's all these characters and they don't kind of tell you who's talking every time it shifts. So it, it's hard to kind of keep track of who's talking, but it's a great book to, to think about the things in our lives that keep us from entering heaven. And in the book, the book, the whole idea is that the gates of hell are actually locked from the inside. Let me say that again. The gates of hell are actually locked from the inside. You can think about it many ways. Inside, inside, inside. You. Thinking about idols and the things you put before God. Now I want to, well first I'll say that um, I'm going to read an excerpt. And I apologize, it's kind of long, but I feel like it's just such a great example of what it's like to have an idol that's holding you back. Um, And when we enter this, it's gonna be a ghost. The ghost is walking around and it's like he's walking on diamonds and cutting his feet and over in the mountain is like, that's where you go and it's like heaven and he's experiencing all these ghosts and they're, they're, they're revealing the things that are holding them back throughout his journey. And this one, he approaches a ghost who has a lizard on his Shoulder. Some of you might remember. All right, so bear with me. I will read as fast as I can, but try to track it. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was unsubstantial. But they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard. And it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. You know what that's like, your, your conscience and the right and wrong. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile, excuse me, with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap here, as he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff 
won't do here. Realize that, but he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Now, mind you, when he talks about going home, he means getting back on the bus from whence he came and going back to hell. Lost my spot, sorry. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood? Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, uh, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You don't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you. And anything so drastic. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question I'm quite open to consider, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's so damn embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's going to sleep off its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is no use of it all. That was the angel. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it. But as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be most silly to do it now. I need to be in good health for the operation. And you wonder, what about this operation? It talks about how those idols are a part of us. If you could, when I think operation, I think about operation on the heart. And he has to sever that. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. All days are present now. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my doctor, and I'll come back the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me in pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew it? It would be all over by now if you had, if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. Folks, it can't be killed against your will. This is a decision you have to make. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost close on a lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you will be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. 
He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I'd admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past. This is a lizard continuing to speak. But I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. The angel chimes in, have I your permission? I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Think about that. Then I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me. God help me. There is so much in that, folks. When you think about idols and what pain it takes to separate some of the things that we put before God. Now, in this excerpt, the lizard on the ghost's shoulder clearly is the idol. The ghost is okay with silencing the lizard, but when confronted, when confronted with killing it so he can enter heaven, he begins to make excuses. How often do we make excuses as to why we do not want to give up something? He wants to make it a gradual process. I've said it. I've heard folks say it. I'll, I'll work on it. This is something I, I'll continue to work on, work on all my life. Where's the immediacy and urgency? He wants to make it a gradual process and span it out so the pain is not so intense. It takes a ton of convincing by the angel. And towards the end, the ghost experiences a great pain in giving up his idol. But finally, he admits, you're right, it would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Or should I say, it would be better to be dead than to continue having this idol on the throne of my heart. Now, church, let's take serious the impact our idols can have on us and on our salvation. It would be better to get completely rid of it and place God back on the throne of your hearts than to risk eternal separation from God. Everything that we cherish is a gift from God. Do you believe that? What are you valuing more? The gift or the giver? What are you valuing more? Do you love God for who he is or is he a means to a desired end? Do you love him for who he is or is it just to get what you want? Are we trying to fill this God-sized hole with something other than God? Okay? So I ask you, Will you take the challenge today? And now I'll move to my final point. I think I'm doing okay on time. The Christ. It all points to Christ. Now, in order for many of us to have the faith and trust like Abraham did throughout this journey in God... You'll ask whether or not God is willing to give 
Uh, or I'm sorry, in order for us to have the faith and trust like Abraham that God is willing to give everything up for us, we need proof. We're a people of proof. I think we have a lot of people who work in labs, scientists, professionals. There's always a proof. Proofread. Proofing pictures. Proof that they learned the material. There's so much proof. We're a people of proof. That God is faithful and can be trusted and that he loves, you, loves us. Right? Well, let me see. I've got some proof for you. All right, you ready? On a mountain called Moriah, meaning he will provide, God tested Abraham. 2,000 years later, chills every time I read this, God on that same mountain sacrificed his one and only son, the one whom he loved. That's what it said in Abraham's journey, the one whom he loved. Now for us, like Isaac, Jesus trusted in his father, climbed the same mountain, carried the wood, looked up to his father and gave himself up without a fight. Now like Abraham, God watched the one whom he loved walk up the mountain, watched him willingly take his place on the altar for sacrifice. But Unlike Abraham, God endured the pain of watching his son's life be taken for you and for me. Jesus is the proof that you need. We can now look at the cross knowing that an answer to the question of God's love and trustworthiness, and it's a resounding yes. Church, let us answer the call. Respond with urgency, follow through on the challenge, and remember that God the Father and Jesus the Christ did it first. Let us place God on the throne of our hearts, for he is trustworthy, fulfills his promises, and loves us immeasurably. Thank you, and to God be the glory. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.